About the Church podcast, episode number 123. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the About the Church podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. Today, I'm going to be talking about actually playing an audio clip, a very long audio clip, about the parable of the incredibly loving father, also known as the parable of the prodigal son. That's right, my friends. I When I say an incredibly long audio clip, uh, this is the longest clip I think I've ever played. It's going to be 28 minutes in length. Normally, I, I just want to say this up front. Normally, I would get um, uh, permission to share this in advance. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that this person would be completely okay with me sharing this audio content with you. Uh, and and probably will, not probably, after I'm finished with this, I will send a link to the original author of this content or the original um, provider of this content and let them know that I have used it without permission. Um, and, 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 and trust me, knowing what I know about these people, they're, they're, they're going to be completely fine with it. I, I, I believe. And if not, I'll take it down. Maybe, <laughs> probably, but, but I doubt that that's going to happen, honestly. Uh, so anyway, I am going to play 28 minute audio clip from a, a, um, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Well, it's, it, I actually picked it up off of this thing called the live stream blog podcast. All right. If, if you go to iTunes and just do a search for a live stream as one word and then blog, then you'll see the live stream podcast or live stream blog podcast by Wayne Jacobson. And uh, the artwork is going to show like some uh, like a flow, some flowing water in blue. And it says currents flowing in the father's love. So this is what you're looking for. This is a podcast that I've been listening to for quite some time now and have benefited from greatly. It's amazing. This is from the author of the book that I had told you about two episodes ago, uh, back in episode 121, the author of uh, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And I've been listening to this, and this is actually coming from an episode that was released on the podcast on May 31st, 2011, and it's called Transitions 2. Uh, I'm going to put a link to this uh, this podcast in uh, iTunes in the show notes, but I'm also going to put a link to where you can find this on the web at livestream.org slash, slash transition.php. All right, livestream.org slash transition.php. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you that uh, it is actually under... Um, uh, I just saw it a minute ago. What is it called? Because I have it right here. It's Livestream Three Roads to Travel. Yeah, so it's, it's under Disc 2... Three Roads to Travel. The parable of the Incredible Father shows us that there are two ways to run from God, uh, to run from God, rebellion and religion, and only one way to live in him, a relationship of affection. All right. So here, here's what I want to do. First and foremost, I want to let you know, as a, a subscriber to the About the Church podcast, that I recently released, uh, actually, I'm going to be working on it as I play the audio clip for you that you're about ready to hear. Um, I'm releasing episode number 165 of the Almost Daily Devotional, and that one's titled, Not Following the Rules Anymore. 
All right. Uh, no or no more rule following or something like that. But if you just go to almostdailydevotional.com and look for episode number 165, I share with you what my life has been like. You know, how are things going after one month, uh, actually more than a month of not going to the thing that many people call church, you know, this going to this building every Sunday with the family. How, how have things turned out after one month without doing that on Sundays? And if you're interested in finding out those details, I encourage you to go to almostdailydevotional.com. Look for episode number 165, something about no more rule following and or no more following the rules. And you'll see it there. And then um, listen to that because uh, I am very excited about some of the things that are happening. And today, I, I just when I was listening to this on the treadmill, I've listened to this 28-minute clip probably three or four times now, and I'm going to listen to it all the way through before I close out this episode and share some additional thoughts with you. But I have listened to this clip several times, and I'll tell you what, this is just absolutely amazing. Uh, it is all about the parable of the incredibly loving father. Now, he Wayne calls it the parable of the loving father. Um, or the incredible father, I think is what he calls it. But we know this from our training as the parable of the prodigal son. And I have to agree with Wayne after really sitting down and diving into this story that this is not a story about the son. This is a story about the love of the father. And, and it's amazing. And I hope and I pray that this has uh, the same effect on you guys as uh, at least uh, uh, to some degree that it had on me in understanding how much God loves us. So without any further you know, ado, I'm going to go ahead and just play this 28 minute clip for you right now. And then I'll come in after it's all finished. So here you go. <laughs> You've probably heard me talk about this story. It's one of my favorites. It's, uh, we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but lousy title because the, the parable is not about a son. It's about two sons. I think the parable is really about a father. And the father that it's about is, uh, is a father unlike any you know. And if you don't, somebody needs some help. Can I get that door for somebody trying to peek their way through? Luke 15, Jesus is being accused again of hanging out too much with sinners. That's the problem in Luke 15. And so the religious people really don't like it when Jesus hangs out with sinners because when you've spent all your life working not to be one of them, you would really think you'd get special privileges. This is why Pharisees are by and large pretty angry people, as I was. When you're working hard for God and God's still being nice to people who aren't working hard for God, it's just a real issue. So they've got an issue. So Jesus tells them three stories, one about a lost coin, one about a lost sheep, and then he gets to this story, which is sometimes called the lost son, but this is a longer parable, and I think he really blows up what's really happening in the context of this story. And so, I, you're pretty familiar with Luke 15, aren't we? Parable of the prodigal. I already told you there was a father. He had two sons, right? And one of those sons was up to no good. Which son was that? Do you remember? Older or younger? younger? Younger boy. What does he ask his dad for? His inheritance. Are you doing this for your son? Let me just ask you. You either dad. you got sons in their early 20s. Your son comes and says, hey, dad, give me... You doing it? Are you doing it? <laughs> Nobody, nobody's saying no. I'm not doing it. My son's 25. He comes to me next week and says, hey, dad, listen, I want the inheritance. I'm saying, inheritance? There is no inheritance till I die. 
and after I'm gone now, you're not getting it. Julia's. So there you go. You know, I, I don't get this. This this is the most incredible story in the world because the, the, the son's up. Do you think the father's surprised here? He doesn't know the son's going to do bad things with his money. If the son is going to dishonor him that much, he, he knows. The crazy thing about this parable is the father does it. What? He does. He gives his son his share of the inheritance. And he send, and the, what does the boy do with it? You remember? Party hardy. Okay, that's one way to say it. What does he do first? This tells you a lot about this boy. What does he do first? He goes to a far off country. I mean, this. I, you see, the, the, this, you think he has father issues? A yeah, little bit, a little bit, a little bit of father issue. Yeah, he goes to a far off country. And what does he do with the money? Party hardy? He parties down. We don't know what he does. Riotous living is how it's described. His older brother says later he consorted with prostitutes. Now, we don't know if he did or not. That's the older brother's view of it. Uh, Jesus just said he, he partied down pretty well. He spent it on himself. Some kind of riotous, decadent living. He spent not all of it. See, the, the guy wasn't a total idiot. I think he saved enough to live on. He kind of thought, well, you know, I'm going to need this much to live on, so I'm going to spend this much partying. Didn't count on the famine. Famine came through. Suddenly, what he saved isn't enough. Suddenly, he's got nothing. Spends it all. So he got nothing left. What does he do? He gets a job. Yeah, to a pig farmer. Pig farmer's not popular in the Jewish culture. Get that? Yeah, okay, good. And then one day he comes to his senses. What brings him to his senses? He's hungry, but out of that, he was hungry for a while. But what really brought him to his senses? How does he remember home? He is hungry for pig food. And now when you're hungry, for, now blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Is this boy at the end? This boy's at the end. When you sing what you're giving the pigs and you covet it because you are so hungry, you're in a world of hurt, right? So Jesus said he comes to his senses. And what does he decide to do? Go home to be a son again. No. Yeah, actually, yeah, not even quite a slave. Actually, he's slave would be worse, but hired servant. He's going. Yeah, I'll just see if my dad will hire me. Be a hired servant. He's got his speech ready. Remember his speech? Anyway, what does it say? Ah, uh, not sin against heaven and earth. Not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just let me be a hired servant in your house, right? And he starts home. Now the scene shifts. Now we're not seeing the son anymore. Where are we? We're back home with the father. And it says about the father, when his son was yet a long ways off. How does he see that? Watching. This is not a short time span. He's wasted a sizable chunk of money. Famines hit the land. He's become a slave. However long that took, this father is still looking. And he sees his son while he's yet a long ways off. And what does he do? Are you doing this? Are you, if you were dumb enough to give your son, his or daughter, her, his inheritance, they were dumb enough to go wasted in a far off country and starve themselves to death. And they're walking back up the road. Are you running to meet him? I can tell you, I'm not sure I am. I remember disciplining that boy growing up of mine. He was dumb enough to do all that. And if he's on his way back to grovel a bit, I think I'm of the mind to let him grovel. i got to tell you, I think I'm standing on the porch saying, ah, here he comes. 
I knew he'd be back. And you just wait, you watch him come all the way up to the house, and then, you know, he falls on his face, and he starts his little speech, you know, Dad, I've sinned against that. Yeah, 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 done that. And I'm not worthy to be your son. What? What? Louder, louder. I'm not sure I heard you. Because to be a good dad, you want to make sure the kid really learned their lesson. It's not enough that they're just coming home to, to be humiliated. It's, you just got to load it on a little more. That's the kind of, unfortunately, dad I was at times. I'm not giving him a free pass. This dad sees his son. You guys already said he jumps off the porch and takes off running. Now, get the picture. He's not wearing trousers. He's not wearing jogging shorts. He's not, what's he wearing? Long ropes. Yeah, long skirts. Now, I've never run in a long skirt. Think you'll be pleased to know that? I understand it's a bit tricky, is it? Some of you who have, a bit tricky. You've got to hike that puppy up and, well, for a man in this culture to hike up his ropes and run down the road was a great sign of dishonor. Men didn't do it. See, we don't want to get that because we see guys running all the time, jogging, old people jogging, shorts that are way too short. Get some longer shorts. Uh, you got that going on all the time. So we don't think about this. And what historians will tell us about this time period, really, the son, the son who took all his daddy's money and wasted it and is coming back poor and hungry and emaciated. How are the townspeople treating that kid? Not, I mean, yeah, you, you like to see the rich kids kind of get slapped around a bit. I got to tell you, it's kind of a deal. We've had two uh, rich kids uh, crash their little Ferrari testosterosas or whatever they are out in California recently. And no, nobody's really crying. Oh, poor guy. You really crashed him. It's kind of like idiots. Yeah. There is something significant, though, is this kid's sorry. The kid is sorry? Kid. Absolutely. Compared to a kid that comes home real arrogant going, give me another inheritance. Uh, grant you that. This kid's uh, sort of sorry. He, you know, again, he's negotiating for a better life is what he's doing. I still don't think the lesson of this story has sunk home yet for this kid. I really don't. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But you're right. He's coming home at least. Yeah, but he's coming home. And whatever this son would be getting mocked by the townspeople. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, how'd that inheritance work out there for you? You know, because the stories would have been known. The brother at least knew something about him, or thought he did anyway. But what the historians will tell us is whatever shame and humiliation the son bore coming home to the town, dad trumps when he hikes up his skirts and goes running down the road. Whatever mockery was directed at the son would now shift to the father. Oh, look at that idiot. What that? It's all over. He's trumped the son's shame. Part of the running is, I'm not going to make you hurt one second longer than it took you to get back to me. You're coming back. See, I, I have a piece of this from my life. Sarah and I have always had some single folks near us that uh, have not had family in the area. We, we've pretty well had either a single living with us or a couple of singles that came over to dinner three or four times a week. We just always said, hey, our family's your family. If you want to hang in here, you get a raise at work. Come by here and tell us. We'll celebrate with you. You get fired and want to cry, come over here. We'll cry with you. And we've always had singles that were close. One of those was a young woman that was uh, probably late 20s. And... Uh, she came over one day with a friend of hers to tell us that she was gay and that her and her friend were moving to Hawaii and she wanted me to bless their union together. And uh, I got to tell you, I, we couldn't have been more shocked. We had no idea that that was 
part of uh, Brenda's life. It's not the same Brenda whose letter we read, actually. And she was uh, sitting at our table with her friend for lunch one day and just saying, Wayne, is there any way God can bless this for us? And I just, I, I wept for her, Sarah and I both. We just said, you know what, Brenda, we love you. That will never change. We'll always love you. But very clearly what you're doing is outside the context of what God's revealed about himself and us. And this doesn't represent health. This represents some twist in your life that God would heal for both of you. No, we can't bless it, but we'll love you. And they, they were crying and, you know, they were leaving. She, that friend wasn't crying because we didn't really know her, but Brenda was. And we finally, when they, we were done and they could see I wasn't going to bless their union, they went outside and got in their car and left. And I hadn't seen her for three years. I was in the middle of teaching one Sunday morning, a group of folks at, back home, when uh, about halfway through what I was sharing, Brenda walked through the back door. I, I now know a little bit about this parable from this, because when I saw Brenda, the only thing I wanted to do at that moment was go back and hug her. I didn't know if she had repented. I mean, I could assume it. She was walking through the back door of a gathering of Christians, so maybe that was what it was about, but it really didn't matter to me. And I just, I stopped, I took the mic off, I handed it to somebody, I said, would you finish this for me? And they're like, what are you talking about? And uh, I went over to Sarah, who was sitting in the front row, and I just said, honey, Brenda's here. She said, what? She looked up, and I said, let's go. We walked through the back, went and hugged her, she screamed, we cried. I don't know what the group did to finish the service, we didn't finish it. We went outside with Brenda, and after three years, Brenda had just come to some incredible changes and transformation. I don't ever remember being as excited to see anyone my life as much as I was excited to see Brenda come back in those doors at that moment, other than when I get home to Sarah. And um, so I know a little bit about what this father felt, just a little. He's running down the road. He's Trump the son's shame, taking it on himself. The mockery's going to him. The people are chasing him down the road. Why are they chasing him down the road? The servants, remember? They're behind him. Why are they chasing? Well, if you're in a school playground and you see kids running for a corner of the playground, what do you usually know is going on in the corner of the playground? There's a fight. This is not, yeah, this is, same goes on. A bunch of kids running somewhere. Something's up to no good. And usually two kids are beating the daylights out of each other. And everybody goes to watch it because uh, I guess fight's pretty interesting. I'm sure these slaves just thought that dad's going to whack that boy good. And he's running down the road. We're going to run after him and see what goes on. Maybe he doesn't want his son to set foot on the property. I don't know. And I don't know what the son was feeling. I can imagine the son, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a hard conversation in front of you, you probably got your head down practicing your line, right? Your opening line. I do that a lot. You know, I get that. I make sure you get the first words out. If sinned against heaven and earth. Somewhere he hears the flop, flop, flop of sandals bearing down on him. And he looks up and it's dad. He doesn't. I don't think he's anticipating. Oh, dad, welcome home. I think he, he launches into a speech right away. God, a father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And I don't be worthy to be called your son. Does the father ever acknowledge the speech? He never does. He never says, oh, I, I'm glad you've come to your senses, boy. He never says a word to him. He grabs him, tackles him, hugs him, kisses him. They're rolling in the dirt together, as Max Lucado describes it. Just frolicking, and Dad's kissing his boy and hugging, and he jumps up, and he turns to the slaves who've come looking for a fight, and now they've got one. Turns to them, and he says, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. Light the barbecue, kill the cow. My son's home. Now, this is, this is the most incredible parable to me because this father acts like no father you and I have ever known. What father do you know has ever given his son an inheritance who was up to no good, especially? 
what father? I, I've told this story all over the world. And I've actually came up, one person at break time said, I know a father who did this. And I said, what? Yeah, his son was 28 years old, crack addict, been in and out of jail for theft and things, and was in a flop house, praying for his son one day. This father felt like God said, give your boy his inheritance. And he went, well, huh, you just, you just ah, doing that, what are you talking about? I didn't, Wrestled with it for months. Finally concluded that this is what God was asking him to do. He had three boys. So he liquidated enough of his estate to get cash for a third of it. He put that third in a bank account in his son's name. And he went into the seedy part of town to find his son and finally found him on an old dilapidated mattress in a flop house. Went to his son and when his son saw dad coming, still in this cracked stupor, Got all defensive and scared, didn't know what dad was coming for. And he said, son, I'm not here to hurt you. And he went and kneeled down by the, by the bed. And he said, I love you. I've always loved you. I'm afraid you're not going to live long enough to see this. So I brought it to you. And he hands the son the, check, the passbook. He says, what is this? He says, son, this is your inheritance. I'm going to give it to you now to do with what you will. And the dad left. <laughs> story turned out great. This is not something I'd recommend anybody doing. If God tells you to do it, great. The son checked himself into rehab later that day. Got off crack, went back, and went back to university, bought himself an education. Turned out marvelously. I just, what an amazing story. The son finally had a way out. And, but we just don't know a father like this one. What father loves their son enough to give him an inheritance when he's up to no good? How could even Jesus tell a story like this? Except he had already seen it. In a garden called Eden, God gave us everything we needed to have life and gave us the freedom to live it without him. And we did. And we walked away. Jesus is only telling the history of salvation. It's already been done. The younger sons have already taken the inheritance and squandered it in a world on their own pleasure instead of God's life. It's already been done. And the Father waits till sin works its course in us and we're just tired of living to ourselves and trying to provide for ourselves and feed ourselves and then maybe decide, ah, turn home and be God's slave, be the Father's slave. I think there's amazing moments of the Father revealing himself in this verse and this portion of Scripture. And I like asking people, where, where do you think in the story, some real key moments, the Father giving his son the inheritance and letting him go, the father waiting over the course of years for his son to come back, the son and then welcoming him home with such forgiveness and reinstituting him as a son in the house, not a hired servant at all. Where in this parable do you think the father demonstrates his love best for the son? Where in this parable does the father love the son the most? You know, I think when I read through this parable... And I think it's even funny that we think of loving the most or loving the least. I think what's in this parable is the father's love is the only constant thing in this parable. He loves the son totally when he lets him go. Loves the son totally when he waits for him to come back. Loves the son totally when he comes back. The drama of the parable is not driven by the rise and fall of a father's affection. That's the constant. What drives the drama of the story is the son's perception of that love. When he demands his father's inheritance, he's living as if he is less loved. When he takes that inheritance to a far-off country, he's living as if he is not loved by his father. 
when he squanders it on his own amusement, he's living as if he is not loved. When he ends up selling himself into slavery, he still does not have any idea how much this father loves him. And even when he comes home to grovel himself a hired hand job, he still does not understand how much this father loves him. All of our wanderings in sin result from the fact that we have no idea how much this father loves us. We just don't. We measure love in human terms. We try to convince ourselves of God's love. We all have disappointments, things God hasn't done for us when we thought he could, should, would, if he loved us. We've all had disappointments. We've all had hurts. But the reason we find ourselves flailing in sin is because we have no idea how loved we are. Does that son ever get it? I don't know. At some point, maybe eating that steak in that house, realizing he's a son again, maybe then it finally sinks in. And we also know, I think now, why the father gave him the inheritance and let him go to begin with. How does a father do that? What does the father have with his son at the end of the parable that he does not have at its beginning? What is it? That's a relationship of affection. Does he have it at the start? No, son doesn't treat him with any affection. He has it for the son. Son doesn't have it for him. Why does he let him go? Why does he trade his inheritance? Send it off into debaucherous living? in hopes that a son would come home that would share this affection with his father. I think that's the deal. That was so important to God. I think that gives us some glimpse at why Eden? Why a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why why that? Because God treasures in our relationship with him, not our obedience, but our affection. God does not want the indentured servitude of slaves, but the affection, the extravagant affection of sons and daughters whom he loves. Does that make sense? This whole parable, I think, is about this relational engagement that God doesn't have, that God wants, and that God's willing to sacrifice anything to get it. And he gets it with that boy. But as I said, there's two sons in this passage. The older son's out in the field. He hears a big brouhaha going in the house, doesn't he? What does he do about that? Remember? Who, who, who checks it out? He sends a slave in. Sends a slave in. Go check out what's going on. Do you think he doesn't know? I'm the third of four brothers. I'll tell you what. My brother took an inheritance, went away and wasted it and came back and had a party. I'd be mad too. And he is mad. And I think he's already thinking, man, fatted calf, big party, dad's house. This doesn't look good. I bet he's already thinking that stupid brother's home. He doesn't go check it out himself. Sends a servant to go in. The servant comes out and says... That brother of yours is home. Dad's killed the fad calf throwing a party. And how's the brother respond? Oh, hallelujah. That's great. He is livid. He is so angry. The father finds out about it. What does the father do? Comes out to his son. Comes out to him. What are you doing? Listen to the language of the older boy. Father, all my life I have slaved for you on this farm. All my life I've slaved for you. You have not once killed this fatted calf and invited my friends and I over. You haven't done it. Now we see that the older brother, the goody two-shoes brother, the brother that stayed home, slaved on the farm, the brother that didn't ask for the inheritance, didn't go wasted on prostitutes, and that, that's when he finally adds, by the way, and this son of yours who went out and wasted your money on prostitutes comes home. You throw a party for him. What does the father say? Do you remember? Son, 
Don't you realize that everything I have is yours? First part of the parable, the bad son asked for his inheritance. Jesus says, and the father divided it up between them both. When the father says, everything I have is yours, he's absolutely telling the truth. The father hasn't owned anything since that younger boy left town. It's all belonged to the older brother. He hasn't used it any better either. He sees himself as a slave in father's house. He doesn't know his father any better than the younger son. And how do we know that? Because on the day of his father's greatest joy is the day of the older son's greatest anger. He doesn't get it. Interesting, Jesus leaves him there. We don't get the end of the story. Is he coming to the father's house or not? We don't know. Why? Because this is a parable. It's not a real story. It's a parable. And the older brother's standing right in front of him. It is the Pharisees that was complaining at him for partying with sinners. They're standing right there. You are the older brother. Are you coming or not coming? In my father's house are many places to dwell. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if, you, if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It was the father inviting the son into the same house. He's not coming. Now we find out that there's two ways to hide from God. One we know well. It's called rebellion. It's the younger brother. The language of rebellion is all about self-indulgence and self-preference and squandering. And we, we know what it is to hide in our sin. We know what that is. What Jesus makes clear in this parable is that there's another way to hide from God, and that is to hide to God in religion. Religion is what this older brother is doing. He's slaving away. It's what the Pharisees are doing, the ones he's telling the parable for. That it's just as easy to hide from God in religion as it is to hide from Him in rebellion. It's just another way of hiding. Mm -hmm. And as one who's hidden a long time in religious activity for God, I know that you can work that well and miss who He is. And yes, it does feel like slavery, and it is very frustrating, and you work hard, and then some nut who was a drug addict, murdering monster when he was a kid, gets saved, writes a book that sells more than yours because you never murdered anybody, so you don't have a near good a book to sell. Now, yeah, that's not right. I didn't get into religion to control people. I really didn't. I got into religion because there were some ways that God touched my life, even as a young man, where I knew He was alive in the universe and I wanted to know Him. And religion was the only way I was given to know Him. So I worked that thing, man. I didn't mean I worked it on others. I worked it for me. I worked it hard. And it left me always frustrated every night of my life. God, what more do you need from me? After all I've done for you, man, I'm still dead in here. I'm trying hard. I'm denying myself. I'm not doing lots of stuff my friends are doing. Why do I not have more life? I mean, this was, this was sheer torture for me. Not the pursuit of religious control. I mean, I wanted God. And I was told this is the way to do it. I was taught that the more righteous you can be, the more relationship with God you can have. Isn't that true? And the New Testament, the whole Upper Room Discourse is exactly the opposite of that. It is the more relationship you'll have with God the more righteous He'll make you to be. It's how do we live with God at our most broken? How do we live with God through my greatest failure? If I can't live with Him there, I won't be transformed. If I've got to earn it to get there, if the road to relationship lies through performance 
and getting the stuff right, believing the right things, doing the right thing. If it lies through that, we have no hope. They're just not that bright enough, people. That's why when Jesus says in John 14, right after we stopped reading, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, religion can take that and say, if you love him, you'll do what we're telling you to do. Here's the commands. And you take Ephesians and Philippians and old man, new man stuff, and they say, okay, these are the new rules. Now, we're New Testament principles, we call them. It's still a law. It's still we're going to get better by understanding what we should be doing and then doing it. It's still performance. The problem is it doesn't work because what needs to change in all of us is deeper than law could ever touch. Whatever help we need, it's, we're just not good enough, bright enough, whole enough, only out of this real relationship with Jesus. Does he begin to untangle sin at its core level? It's not what I'm doing. It's why I'm doing it. I can resist it, but resisting it is not living free of it. And we're going to find language in Romans 8, Philippians chapter 3. The church at Laodicea describes, it describes, I would rather have you cold or hot, but not lukewarm. See, Jesus, according to the Revelation 3 church at Laodicea, this is the worst place to live. Because you think you've got it right, and you're missing it. And you don't know. Jesus, that's, I never, who understands Laodicea when you're pastoring a group of people? My God, I'd rather have you lukewarm than cold. I'd rather have at least you're picking a little body here, pretending you're trying to get hot. What, what, what's the value of cold? The value of cold is you're living the reality of what your life is. It's that boy in that far off country, eventually in that pig pen. He's living who he really is. He is closer to coming home here than this boy is who's slaving and feeling like I'm the goody shoes, shoes, shoes kid. He's my, that's why Jesus said, I would rather have you cold or hot. But so, we've, I think I missed that most of my life. I read Galatians saying, oh my gosh, that's the Jews. Galatians, that's the problem. It's Judaism. And then we got a little wiser and you're like, oh, it's really just legalism. So, well, that's the Catholics <laughs> or the Presbyterians or somebody else. It's not me. And lo and behold, realized that I was pastoring the church at Galatia. It wasn't good. I didn't know I was. So we'll come back and sort out this, uh, I think, the road we want to be on. How do we live relationally in the life of and the love of the Father? This is live loved and love. That's that simple. Live loved and love. And live loved and love, and then everything that needs to be changed in you gets changed. Everything God needs you, the work, good works He's prepared for you in advance to do, get done as you are loved and love. They don't get done as you're trying to jump through hoops to earn it. Make sense? Okay. Well, my friends, there you go. Um, Powerful, powerful way of looking at the parable of the incredibly loving father. Um, It's been amazing to me. Again, I hope that you'll go back and check out Almost Daily Devotional, episode number 165. And uh, in fact, while I was uh, taking notes and listening again to this wonderful teaching on, on this parable... Um, I, I came up with the perfect title. It's called Life Without Following the Rules. So, so if you want to, again, want to hear this, uh, just, a, uh, just a peek into the, the journey that I'm on of living loved, of, of not trying to, to follow the rules, but trying to live in Christ and in Christ being transformed, 
in in a way that that has never happened by following the rules. And I used to be a great rule follower. Um, and 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 it's funny because I, I've heard the same uh, guy. His name's Wayne um, Wayne uh, Jacobson. I've heard him uh, have other people call what what I'm going through and what he's gone through and what so many other people are going through as a ferrisectomy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having the the inner Pharisee removed surgically by God, and and that's who I am. I I I am I am free in Christ, and 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 I am in love with God, with my Father, and I'm learning to understand God as my Father, as not the Father, but as my Father, and uh, and my life is being transformed as a result of it. You know, here it is. It, it for me. It's 11.30 in the morning right now. And today, the only two things that I've accomplished when it comes to my work is the Almost Daily Devotional episode 165 and the About the Church podcast episode 123. And after I'm finished posting or publishing these online myself today, uh, because I just feel led to do that, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go up and I'm going to have lunch. And then I'm going to get started on my day. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, here's the thing. I've already started on my day. I've already done some of the most important things that I could do today. I already have. And 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 I have no doubt that this this is this teaching has has been a blessing to you. There there's no question. If you're still listening, you've been blessed by this today because I know I have. And I've listened to this over and over again. I want to just uh, share with you some notes that that I that just really stand out to me and I'll put these in the show notes as well. Um, just a couple notes that I wrote down. First is the issue I, let's see here. Um, oh yeah, the, the important thing to remember about the parable of the, of the prodigal son or the incredibly, uh, let's see here, I'm putting this in the show notes. Okay. Of the prodigal son or the incredibly loving father. Um, it's important to understand why, what is the purpose of this parable? The purpose of this parable is not about sin. It's not the sin of the son. It's not about, it's not the focus on, you know, you know, repentance. You know, is that in there? Absolutely. Is there a repentant heart? It it seems to be and stuff like that. But that's not the purpose of this story. This, this story is being told by Jesus as the result of him being uh, accused of spending too much time with sinful people. And and his in, his reason for telling the story is to understand that hey, I've come because of the love the Father has for these people, and this entire parable is meant not to be about that son. It's about the Father's love for us. So I, I think that's the most important thing. If you don't get anything else, well, no, actually, I think there's a lot of other things that are important. But that's, you know, so it, we, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the incredibly loving father. All right. Here's the next note that I have. The father doesn't even acknowledge the prepared speech. Um, he's already, you know, the, the son's already sitting there. He's like, you know, I've got this. I've prepared ahead of time what I'm going to say. And and when he when he's he's caught off guard by meaning being met halfway I think it's important. Go back and listen to this again. Go back and read it again. Go and look at it. Understand this. You know, the the son, he's got a prepared speech. Oh God, I've sinned against you. You know, heaven and earth and blah, 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 and and, and stuff like that. You know what? The father doesn't even acknowledge that he's saying the God the Father has already wiped away the here's the thing. The relationship 
is that this is the son of this father. This 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 boy, this man is already the son of God, if you will. That that's the story here, right? We're already his children. We've already if and this is written, this is spoken to to understand that our relationship with God through Christ is that we have been adopted as sons. And, and that when we have done that, that it's Christ's righteousness. God is already looking at us with love. He, he and, and, and not only that, but even when we were in our sin, God loved us. And, and, and there's even more in that, if you could just see it. But the fact is, is that sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, I know what I need to do to get to, to get the father to to forgive me. I must come, you know, I must come you know, bowing down and, and stuff like that. And, and I think there's important things about repentance. I do and, and stuff like that. But I think we have to understand that God's love is 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 extended to us regardless. You know, I as a father, I look at my three children, you know, my three children aren't perfect, but I love them all so much. And I cannot, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine anything that my children will do that would ever make me stop loving them, that would ever make me stop wanting to, the best for them, that, that you know, in, in, in whatever way that I could provide what's best for them, I, I just can't imagine anything they'd ever do where I would make them beg and grovel for, for, for me to, to be able to accept them back. And, and, and yet, even as an infa- you know, as a fallible father, I, I see that there are times when I do get angry and I'm like, I'm not going to forget, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, here's the thing. God's not like me. God's a perfect father. He is the perfect father. He loves us. That's what this story is all about. Um, I love how Wayne says, you know, this story, it, this whole running towards the son, the father running towards the son. He's like, it, it's like, he's like, listen, I'm not going to make you hurt one second longer than it took for you to decide to come back to me. That spoke incredible truth and in, in, in love into my heart to understand that that's the way the Father sees me. And that's what he, Jesus is telling us in the story. Here's the other one. What, what father gives an inheritance to a son that he knows is up to no good? You know, and, and this is exactly like what Wayne says in, in the garden. This this is the story about how humanity, this is how our, our lives as, as humans has, has gone. God loves us. And he gave, he knew we would, he knew what we would do. You know, he, he's telling the story that's already taken place, but the father waits and the father waits and he's waiting for us. You know, and, and I love the question, you know, where he asks, where in the parable does the father demonstrate his love the most in this parable? And the fact is, is there is no place where he demonstrated it. It's the same. The father demonstrated his love by first, you know, bringing us into this world. Second, by giving us an inheritance, even though he knew that, that we would not do the things that, that are in our best interest. He patiently waited for us and never gave up, never gives up on us. He's, he's, he's eagerly waiting for us to come to him. He runs to us. He, he demonstrates his love for us. He, his love is his love. We are loved. There's nothing I can do that will make him love me less. I am his son. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. 
I am his son. And these are the things that I'm starting to understand about my relationship with God that is transforming my life. Um, I love this next note. Uh, what does the father have with the son that he didn't have at the beginning? And it's a relationship of affection. And that's exactly what God has with me now. I have a relationship with him, not of, I feel like I need to appease you. I need to earn your love for me. I, I, I no longer come to God's word thinking, I need to do this because this is the only way I can get you to bless me. You know, I, you know, you gave me eternal life. So, you know, I, you, you provide for my food. So I should go out and work in the fields for you like the older son. You know, I'm not like that anymore. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Now I, I have a relationship with God because I have an affection for him. I understand his love for me and his love for me is transforming me. God does not want, and here's the next thing. God does not want the indentured servitude of slaves, but the affection, the extravagant affection of sons and daughters whom he loves. He wants our affection. He doesn't want our rule following. He wants our affection. I love this. And of course, the next one is, we have already been given the inheritance as his son, all right? As in you as his daughter. Everything I have is yours, he tells the older son. The older son continues, however, to see himself as a slave. If you, I never, I never even saw this one before. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that the, the one, the prodigal son, the one who went away, um, I, I'm thinking here he, he he asked the father for his part of the inheritance and the other son's like, you know, I, I would never ask that. No, the son, you know, the thing is, though, the father actually went ahead and gave both of their sons the inheritance. Everything the father has was given to his sons. And you know what? That's what the father communicates to us. There's other places in the scripture that says everything I have is yours. You know, ask, you only need ask and you will receive. And, you know, and of course, there's so much more to that and so much more that I have to learn about that. But the thing is, is I think it's important for us to understand the communicating that God communicates to us here, that everything the father has as his adopted child, we have access to it all. We are not his slaves. We are with the father and everything the father has is ours. And he desires for us to enjoy him and our relationship with him in a, and, and, and that we have genuine affection for him. That's what he desires. He does not want our love that is um, out of guilt or shame or out of following the rules or some sense of obligation. You know, I know as a father, I don't want my kids to say, Daddy, you know, I love you because they feel like that's what they should say. I want it out of a genuine affection. It makes a major difference. And that's what God desires from us. And then I love that there, uh, Wayne shares that this, this parable shows us there are two ways to hide from God. One is in rebellion. And obviously I've always understood rebellion and the, and you know, just <clears throat> going out and selfish, indulgent living. But I, I never realized that all these years I have been hiding from God in religion slaving away with following the rules you know and and i do understand it is just as easy to hide from god in religious activity and i've been there and i'm not doing it anymore i am free from that slavery 
you know, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, you know, of, of religiously following rules. All right. Um, I really, Wayne says, I really wanted God. And this is what he says this. I was taught and I was taught this as well. The more righteous you could be, the more relationship with God you could have. And that, my friends, is how I spent most of my life trying to get a better. I really wanted God as well. And I was taught the more righteous I could be, the more relationship with God I could have. And that is not true. That is not true. I have been looking at the New Testament through a whole different lens. And I see, I see clearly, and I know for a fact because I'm experiencing it, the more relationship that I have with God as my father, the more relationship I have in Jesus Christ, the more righteous he'll make me. And and I'm not, I, the thing is, is in his sight, I'm already there. But out externally and internally and so many other areas in my life, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's being done from the inside and it's done out of the affection and the love and in the love that I have, or that, that, that the Father has for me. My friends, that is going to wrap it up here for this episode of the About the Church podcast. You know, this is, this is an amazing journey God's brought me on and uh, has had me on. And, and I, I have no idea where it's leading, but I tell you what, I've never been so fired up. I've never been so fired up. I am so excited about what lies ahead. God willing that I'm here in in a week from now, three weeks from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. I'm excited to go forward in Christ, in my relationship with God, my Father, and, and seeing where it takes us. I encourage you to join us. Hey, if this if this content is something that encourages you and inspires you, would you consider becoming a Plus member? Head over to gspn.tv slash plus for more information. Just wanted to throw that in there. But anyway, God bless you all. I pray that you find the Father's love and lived, live loved.